Hello and welcome to episode 94 of the Corinne Nidja podcast. I'm your host, Corinne Nidja. This podcast is where I share people's incredible stories of recovery after transitioning to a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet. I am a vegan, but this isn't necessarily about veganism because a vegan diet can be very unhealthy. <laughs> you can have Oreos are vegan, Doritos, some, some Doritos are vegan. You know, there's so many vegan foods out now, which is fantastic for the animals and for the planet, but not necessarily are these foods health promoting. So I just wanted to say that here because I think some people can think that a plant-based diet and a vegan diet are identical and they're, they're not. You know, I could, I've been vegan without eating whole foods before when, and, and eating, you know, vegan apple pies, vegan raspberry shortbread biscuits, you know, they, they aren't a low-fat whole food, plant-based foods. And that needs to be specified for many people who think that just going vegan is going to help you alleviate your chronic disease or your inflammation or help you heal from whatever ailment that you might have. A vegan diet alone isn't enough unfortunately, because of all the different high fat, high salt, high sugar, high refined grains that exist in many of the vegan foods that are available at the you know, Magnums are vegan, have vegan Magnums now, vegan Cornettos. They're not part of a low fat whole food plant-based diet. And the other thing I wanted to say, because I just, it's been bothering me, is that a lot of people out there, in, even in the vegan community, in the health community, in the community, as a whole, get angered by stories like the ones I'm sharing because they like, well, I've been, vegan diets don't cure everything. This is mean, it's unscientific, it's pseudoscience, it's whatever it is. And oh, they've got chronic disease and I've been vegan for 15 years and I'm still suffering with this, whatever ailment it is. And they get hurt and triggered by seeing these posts and hearing these stories because their own condition isn't improving or they think it does a disservice to the vegan movement because it's pseudoscience attached to an ethical movement or whatever. All I wanted to say about that is my thoughts on that are these stories, a low-fat whole food plant-based diet is never going to be something that anyone regrets if it's done well, if you're getting support, if you're get educated, if you're making informed choices, if you're getting regular blood tests, if you're looking taking regular B12, you know, if you're looking after yourself, you won't regret it. If you're keeping yourself informed, you're not going to regret it. You're going to feel better for a multitude of reasons, even if, as I said many times, even if this diet didn't heal my multiple sclerosis, it helped my constipation, it helped my energy levels, it helped my candida, it helped my fibromyalgia. I feel so much better for so many reasons, which most of the guests, if not all the guests on this show, would also agree with, even if we hadn't, even if it, even if it hadn't done what it's done for the now near 94 guests on my show, including doctors and their patients who've also adopted a whole food plant-based diet, it helps in so many other ways. It helps for the planet, it helps for the animals, it helps it helps for so many different ailments and illnesses. But the thing is, is it does help some people. It helped all these people. And so denying them this information because of the people that it doesn't help 
it isn't really a it isn't fair. I want this information. I wanted it. I wanted to give it a try. And if it hadn't worked, but it had just helped my constipation, just helped my energy, I would still be grateful. But it does work and it has worked for all these people. And I haven't even scratched the surface of the people that this diet has helped and is helping because not everyone wants to come on this show. Not everyone wants their story aired to everyone. But it's helping so many people. So should those people be denied these stories because of the people that it hasn't managed to cure? No. I want to know this information. I wanted it from myself and the people on my show wanted it. And if they hadn't had it because, oh, don't say these stories to people because the people who it's not helping are going to be upset, then these people would have missed out. It's completely unfair to deny people the possibility, a very high possibility of healing with a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet because of the people that it may have not worked for. And there may be many factors impacting upon those people, their microbiomes, their gut health. Are they getting enough support? Are they educated enough? Have they reduced the fat intake enough? Have they gone and gotten someone to help them with stress in their life or psychological issues? Are they still with an unhelpful partner, unsupportive family members or or an unsupportive community or a friendship circle that's completely unsupportive? There's many things. Are they exercising? Are they in a career that they hate? There's so many factors. To put it all down to a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet not working, it's pretty hard to imagine. And I think that when many of those things are addressed or all those things are addressed, which is difficult, I'm not saying that's an easy thing to do, but most people can't definitively blame a low, like say a low fat, whole food, plant-based diet doesn't work when there's other areas of their life that they're also struggling with, you know, their employment, their exercise, their mental health, their relationships, their careers, their whatever it is. Their stresses in life, their anxiety, their response to those things. There's so many. Their sleep. Are they getting enough sleep? Have they had enough sleep for a long enough time? There's so many different factors that can also play a role. So I find it very difficult when I get those comments on posts like, oh, good for her, but my partner or my friend or myself are all still struggling and we're trying this way of eating in this angry tone. This I wish you wouldn't post posts like these because it's pseudoscience or it's woo-woo or it's not doing anything good for the vegan movement. It makes us all look like we're orthorexic, health-focused, plant-based people that aren't don't care about the animals or the planet. I care about all those things. I really, really deeply care about all of those things. But these stories still need to be heard. And they need to be heard because they, it does work for many, many, many people. And they shouldn't be denied the opportunity to hear those stories because of the few that it hasn't worked for and hasn't worked for yet because it doesn't it's not an overnight thing for many people a lot of th- a lot of things happen very quickly but not overnight you know and it's still still people struggle you know if we eat the wrong foods or we have stress in our life you know there's still some struggles that go along along the way it isn't all a bed of roses endlessly so some people sure but for not for everyone and we have to tweak and figure things out along the way. So I just want to say that because if you're listening and you've got a friend or a person who says this this to you, I think the response needs to be that it's unfair not to let these stories out to people because they do help many, many, many people. And without these stories, many, many more people will continue to live with ill health, chronic disease, 
because there's no stories like this because no one's sharing them. And I think that they need to be shared so that more people feel confident to try because they're never going to lose. They're not going to lose for the planet, for the animals. They're not going to lose for their health. Overall, if they adopt a well-planned, low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet, it's now everyone's telling everyone to try it because the planet needs us to, the animals need us to, and our health needs us to. We have more chronic disease than ever before in human existence. So, yes, we definitely need more people to be trying a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet, and stories like these help those people who are on the fringe take the first step to transitioning or adopting a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet. So, with that said, today we have Catherine Collier on the show And I was really excited to have Catherine on the show because not only has she got a great story about overcoming irritable bowel syndrome or IBS, quite a severe form of IBS, and I think it's something that many, many people live with. And I love sharing these stories because a lot of people live with it forever and think that that's just them, that's just their life. They're just constipated or they have diarrhea or they have gas or they have this or they have bleeding or they have hemorrhoids or they have bloating or they have indigestion and it's all just that's what their bodies are like. And that's just doesn't need to be the case for most people if you get some support and and change your diet and the foods that you're eating that are contributing to your digestion, digestive issues and your gut health being compromised. So Catherine was low was recommended a low FODMAP diet after being diagnosed with multiple food allergies and that's why I was very excited to have her on the show because she is whole food plant-based low, no no oil low fat whole food plant-based. She did make that switch after being diagnosed were being told to go on a low FODMAP diet. And it is something that many people, it's a blockage to them for going plant-based because I already have eliminated so many things to be low FODMAP. Now to eliminate meat, eggs, dairy as well is too much. It's too hard. It It can't work for me. But as you will hear in Catherine's story, which is a long story about her, you know, a long story about her, her ill health and, you know, many factors that contributed to her ill health. And now she doesn't have to, after adopting a low-fat whole food plant-based diet, she doesn't have to be as, well, as strict with keeping away from high FODMAP foods. So I think that's really, really powerful uh, in itself because many people, there is a wall that they hit and they're like, I'm not going to go any further to plant-based eating because I'm already, I have to eat you know, this low FODMAP diet and it's already very restrictive in itself. So that's why I was very excited to have Catherine on the show to share her story. And I, yeah, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for listening. Oh, and before I go, I'm just going to say you can find Catherine over at Plant Based Home on Facebook and Try Yoga Basics on Facebook because Catherine's also a wonderful yoga teacher from Ballarat. And she also is part of, she founded Plant Powered Ballarat. So you can join that group and go along to some Plant Powered Ballarat potlucks and meet some like-minded Ballarat people eating plant-based food. So very, very excited to hear that she has started that up in Ballarat after attending the 
Nutrition in Healthcare conference that was in February that I went to that was amazing, the first inaugural conference held by Doctors for Nutrition and Lucy Stegley and Helene Rooks. It was incredible and it's so nice to hear what's coming out of that, you know, all the different people who attended who are now out there spreading the message after being inspired by that incredible three days of Nutrition in Healthcare conference with the wonderful Neil Barnard and so many other, Scott Stoll and so many other incredible speakers at that event. So definitely get your tickets early for next year's event because it is so wonderful. And enjoy this episode and I will see you all next week for episode 95. Holy cow. All right. Bye. Hello, Catherine, and welcome to the show. Hello, Corinne. Thank you for having me. It is wonderful having you. And we were just laughing because I accidentally <laughs> accidentally messaged <laughs> Catherine uh, my mum's Facebook page screenshot <laughs> before we... <laughs> Which was really lovely of you. I just wasn't sure why I was getting it. Anyway, silly mistake, but very funny. Now we can be friends immediately because you can see that I'm hopeless using technology and just... Instant friends. Instant (laughs) friends. Yes. Now, I have already given a little bit of an introduction to you, but so please just launch yourself straight into your story about your own plant-based journey. Okay. Um, where does, it's kind of a little bit hard to know where to start, but um, I guess my story is one of um, IBS um, predominantly and the journey that I went on to, I guess, ultimately find my own way of, of healing and helping, you know, my symptoms and, and things like that. So I guess um, if I kind of go right back to, to the beginning and before I had the diagnosis, I, you know, ate a, a pretty what, you know, everyone would call you know, a normal normal diet growing up, you know, kind of meat and veg. My dad's Italian, so I had beautiful Italian food in my family. We'd have things like beautiful minestrones and, you know, um, spaghetti bolognese and, you know, um, all that kind of stuff, lots of fruits and vegetables and obviously meat and dairy and all that kind of stuff growing up. And looking back now, I realized that I was probably constipated a lot more than I was not but at the time I I just didn't you just don't know and as a kid like it's not as though I wasn't able to go to the toilet sorry this is just right into talking about the toilet and well it's an IBS episode so I feel like people are coming in forewarned forearmed (laughs) so um yeah so um, so I guess never really, you know, triggered that. But but now looking back, I do wonder. So anyway, so I'd have, you know, I would have bouts of constipation and, you know, it's just take some, t- you know, mum would give me Metamucil or um, I also had quite a bit of indigestion and those kinds of, you know, symptoms. And and so, uh, you know, I'd take some Mylanta or I'd take some Eno, you know, and, and that was a reasonably started to become a regular-ish occurrence for me and it was just something that was normal. How old were you then? Gosh, it's really hard to say, but I reckon it was 
it was probably around, you know, maybe my early teens or onwards maybe. It could have been even a bit earlier than that that I had, you know, certainly the like constipation and things like that, troubles. But, I mean, when kids have constipation and things like that, it's not really something that's considered to be necessarily abnormal, you know. It's just, oh, okay, you need a little bit more fibre in your diet, so, you know, we'll just give you a bit of prune juice or and then off you go and it's okay for a little while and then all of a sudden you constipate again or so um I guess yeah so but I think probably when I was in my early 20s I I just started to get these more I guess chronic symptoms I had just tummy pain that I couldn't even describe and I'd talk to mum and you know and she'd be like I don't know this is you know something's going on like you shouldn't be getting these pains all the time and the I also had just just things like um, I'd get thrush quite regularly I had aching just aching body aching muscles back neck you know, headaches every now and again. But again, not not something you would necessarily think was, you know, anything out of the ordinary, except that it started to get more chronic. And you were young, you know, and that, and, that, and that's the thing. I don't know if you've listened to my episode, which is number 36, not doing self-promotion, but it is. It's, it's too much information. There's lots and lots and lots of ick in there. But in that episode, talking about like those things that we just – brush off we dismiss so frequently in our in our culture in our society in Australia and I think in most of you know in Britain Britain and the UK and the US these childhood constipation like kids shouldn't be constipated like we shouldn't be and we shouldn't have indigestion and we shouldn't have tummy pain and we shouldn't have regular thrush outbreaks and we shouldn't be having aches and pains when we're in our late teens early 20s and we shouldn't be having regular, semi-regular headaches. They're signposts of something bigger, a bigger underlying problem that we repeatedly ignore until we get to, you know, some stage late down the track when we have chronic disease and we say, oh, this has happened suddenly. And you're like, no, look back. It hasn't happened suddenly. This has been happening ever since you were a child. It's just been going new signpost, body saying over and over again, Catherine, cut it out. You know, whatever you're doing, stop doing it. I'm upset. But we keep ignoring them. And we teach our kids to ignore them by saying constipation's just something that happens. We don't look for the actual cause of the constipation. We just eat some prune juice once and then go back to eating the same sad diet that we were eating that caused the constipation in the first place. And we do it over and over again, like slamming our finger in a car door over and over again. And go, Why do I keep having a black fingernail that falls off? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. And- And I think it is something that's considered to be quite normal. And, and, you know, I guess like I I even remember once, you know, I got later into my journey with um, when I actually decided to go and look into it, but I'd even have, you know, specialists saying to me to be constipated once a week, you know, I wouldn't worry about that, you know, as long as it's not happening more regularly than that. Well, you know, maybe there's some level of, I don't know if there's a, a level of normality to constipation. Like it's a pretty, it's not a very nice situation to be. And then considering now that I have not been constipated since I can't remember when, it doesn't seem at all normal to me anymore. 
And there's people that say, because they don't know any better, because you think this is, after a while, you just think this is how my body works. We all have individual bodies. My body works like this. And I remember as a child talking about my own constipation and my mum's friends or friends of the, you know, just friends would say, oh, you know, I go every third day or I, this person only goes every 10 days. It's just different for each person. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, yes. no, yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs> You're all constipated. <laughs> <And> <laughs> That's not how you should be going. But I didn't know that then. But now, you know, bodies work, human bodies work like human bodies. Not one doesn't just go every 10 days. You know, you don't say, oh, fish, a fish, one fish can live out of water for 10 days and this fish can have, you know, like this, this cat only eats bananas. We're human species of animal and we, we should poop like a human species of animal, not once every 10 days for this species, this human, and, you know, every fourth day for this human. Like, we should just – they work the same way. Biologically, we're the same. We should perform in the same manner. A specialist saying to me, you know, anywhere from every – I don't know, it was it was like uh, every, you know, day to every – once every seven days or something like that, or maybe it was five days. But it was – there was a big realm of – you know, what, what is considered normal. But so I, I used to, you know, probably pass a stool every, you know, one to, uh, sorry, every, you know, two to three, maybe pushing out to four days. Now it's every day. Yay. <laughs> if not more than once a day. Yes. Very <laughs> and good. That is like, you know, bizarre. I never thought I would be like that. So, but um, yeah, so, pro- so I was in my early twenties when, I think things started to really amp up and it and and mum would you know say to me honey this is not normal like you know you shouldn't be getting these pains all the time why don't you go and get it looked into check it out so off I go to the GP and then I get referred on to um, a gastroenterologist and she straight away said you know let's pop you in, pop you under and do a gastroscopy and see what's going on. So that I did that um, and the results came back as normal. She told me I had a little bit of inflammation in my tummy, uh, nothing, nothing major, um, and she pretty much put it down to stress and anxiety and told me to go, go away and, you know, think about some, um, you know, stress management, anxiety management techniques try to keep those stress levels down. And I was going through a bit of a stressful time in my life. I'd just been through a relationship breakdown. I was living in Melbourne. I'd moved back home. and, And I'd also... I'd had some pretty personal relationship issues. I, I actually had, when I was about six years old, I was playing on, you know, those Ottoman kind of feet stool things that you put your feet on. I was playing on those and I actually slipped and fell and like right in between my legs. And I ended up having to have stitches from basically the top one top of my vagina right down one side oh my gosh long story short I ended up with a condition called vaginismus basically makes it very difficult well impossible to have intercourse so I was dealing with that in my early 20s and relationship wasn't right um but 
I didn't know at the time, but going through all of that. Um, so, yeah, it was pretty, yeah, pretty anxious time. That would be <laughs> such an anxious time. It was. And, um, and I think at the time when I had that accident, I mean, there was I had stitches and as a little girl, I there was a lot of pain like when I went to the toilet and it built up this kind of cycle of I would associate pain, the pain down there with, with anything related to that area. So, yeah, so um, so that was all, you know, that created a lot of anxiety for me. So anyway, so I, so I was, I was very anxious. So I went away and I um, started yoga, um, which I loved and um, yeah, and on I went and I just, you know, continued on for a little while and then uh, met my now husband and entered into a a wonderful relationship, obviously, (laughs) we're married now, but things, things kind of you know, would creep back. Like things were not getting better in terms of my my tummy issues. And, of course, then I had children. I got married and I had children. And that's when things really ramped up for me. Um, so whether or not it was hormonal stuff that happened and kind of, you know, all of a sudden like the constipation was extremely severe particularly afterwards and and I guess you know maybe there are a lot of ladies who have those issues. I think a lot of women have constipation during and after immediately after pregnancy and I did a little bit after Iggy when I was when I was pregnant I was eating like a bin with Iggy and then I went strict after he was born and then it it result it resolved fairly quickly. Yeah yeah so mine didn't really ever seem to resolve. It was just, um, and I can't really remember, maybe it got worse again after my second child, but I can remember at one point, I'd because I'd been, I'm just trying to think whether I'd, at that point, I don't think I'd been off to another gastroenterologist. I remember that I did go to a specialist and I'd had um, internal hemorrhoids. So I had an operation to remove those because it was at the point literally where, you know, I'd be on the toilet and I was just so, I was just too scared to pass, you know, a stool. (laughs) And at one point there was just, there was only blood coming out. Like there was nothing, I just, there was nothing else. So that was just, yeah, that was horrible. That was really scary. I never knew. Now, sorry, listeners, because I know that this is talking about hemorrhoids, which is everyone's favourite topic, but I never knew that you could get internal hemorrhoids. And it wasn't until I was at the pool with a heap of other new mums and one mum said, I went to the doctor to talk about my hemorrhoids. And he's like, you've got hemorrhoids all the way inside you know all the way up your colon I guess that's a, a yeah yeah but I'd never heard that and I can't and I get I imagine that I would have had that too at the peak of my constipation because I regularly had hemorrhoids and it was terrible and I wasn't going I was going once every seven to ten days back when I was at my sickest and yeah I can't people don't realize and like you said I had bleeding as well with that and I just thought that was just yeah. Life. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was, and I had, I had again, you know, um, throughout my life, like, you know, some people do tend to struggle with hemorrhoids. I was one of those children and, and, you know, young teenagers, young adults that I would from time to time get hemorrhoids. I'd go off to the, you know, chemist or whatever, get the cream, they'd clear up, I'd be fine for a little while. So yeah, I was one of those people anyway, but yeah, just once I had kids, it was just everything ramped up. Um, and I, you know, constant, like even so my indigestion, those types of symptoms. I, you know, at one point went to the doctor, she put me on Nexium. It wasn't helping. Like I was taking Nexium, but I was still getting these symptoms of indigestion type, you know, like chest, like burning, this burning sensation and, you know, and some, it was just, I couldn't seem to nut it down to any particular thing I was eating. It was sometimes I'd be okay. I'd, I'd eat you know, whatever, and I'd be fine. And then other times I'd eat something and I'd just get, you know, and it, and even it could be like 15 minutes after a meal and I'd get these these tummy symptoms and it'd be anything from nausea to like feeling like, um, you know, it was sensitive to touch to um, kind of almost sharp, twingy pains, just all sorts of different, like rumbling kind of, you know, hunger pains when you're not hungry. (laughs) Um, Oh, just a a range of different things. And I was just really at the, again, at the time, I don't think I related all this, but I was just so stiff. I was waking up in the morning with like really stiff hands. It's, it sounds really odd, but um, just so stiff and achy. So where was I? <laughs> Sorry, I'm jumping around a bit. But I basically um, got to the point, you know, ba- back backwards and forth to, you know, doctors, gastroenterologists. So I had these internal hemorrhoids removed after I had my children and then I was still having these tummy issues. So eventually this gastroenterologist said, we'll, we'll take you in and um, we'll do a, I'd had a, I'd had a sigmoidoscopy at one point, um, which found nothing. I think that was at the time when I had the hemorrhoids removed. And then later on, um, you know, cause I was obviously still having issues. I, um, went back and they did a colonoscopy just to, you know, obviously look for anything that more serious as you know, Corinne, um, you know, for any colon cancer or whatever it might be, ulcerative colitis, et cetera. And thank goodness for me, I feel so lucky that I came back and, and I was clear of all those things. But then it's like, okay, so what's going on? So then he said, okay, so now that we've cleared up those more, you know, very serious things, I'd like to do some hydrogen methane breath testing on you. So that's when things really got interesting. And I can remember um, having the testing and I kind of did it all at home and I had to pretty much cut, you know, lot like everything out of my diet. And then you do the test and he, they, he tested me on, I think it was all the possible difference. So, you you know, lactose, fructose, sorbitol, mannitol, whatever all these different um, sugars are. And I remember going back into the appointment and he's, the doctor said to me, right, so I've not seen anyone come back with multiple food intolerances like you have. Um, he, he said, you are 
intolerant to fructose, lactose, and sorbitol. So I, at that stage, I'd been doing quite a bit of reading myself and I'd taken up yoga teacher training. So I was on this little bit of a journey while I was trying to figure out what was going on with my tummy. I was also learning my own, you know, and I discovered in yoga teacher training, they talk obviously about yoga as a lifestyle. And so they go into diet. And that was probably my first introduction to hearing about a vegan diet. And I remember thinking at the time, oh, wow, that is really extreme. And, you know, that's not something I'd ever be interested in. Um, (laughs) Yeah, as time goes goes on, I guess I... um, I was like that too, don't worry. (laughs) You just just start reading. I was just determined to... So so after he gave me that, that, you know, information... Um, I knew I was like, well, lactose is not, you know, that much of a surprise. Like there's lots of people that are lactose intolerant. Sorbitol is interesting. Fructose is is common too, but it was rather a high intolerance to fructose. So, um, you know, he sent me off to a dietitian. I went on the low FODMAP diet. Um, and started that journey of trying to figure out which foods were causing the most issues for me. So at the same time, I was discovering plant-based eating and, and learning all about nutrition. And I went to the, so I said to the doctor in one of my appointments, you know, I'm really interested in plant-based nutrition for my health. I've read quite a bit of information about it. And the first thing that came out of his mouth was, oh, you're not going to go all iron deficient on me, are you? (laughs) And I was like, well, okay. (laughs) I didn't, I was, I just knew I wasn't going to get the support from him. And it was almost like, wow, you know, you're cutting out, you have to cut out quite a few, you know, fruits and vegetables and, you know, a lot of things out of your diet. Why are you trying to further, you know, restrict and take meat out of your diet? This is going to cause huge issues for you. That was pretty much what he said. And that was pretty much what the dietitian said too. And so it was, it was just like, in one sense, it was the worst timing to find out I had all these food intolerances. And in another sense, it was the best timing because it just, I just was able to strip everything back, you know, and um, start again, in a sense, and rebuild my, my diet. But it wasn't, I didn't cut it out completely. Like I, it, it wasn't, you know, and and I'm still, you know, on the journey. I'm, I guess I'm ninety percent, ninety five percent of the way there. Sometimes a hundred percent, but I do still slip up. But yeah, it was. It took a long time. Like even just getting to know which foods were, you know, high fodmap, low fodmap, all of this kind of stuff, and going through that phase, and and then of course trying to explain to your family and friends about the diagnosis of IBS and the low FODMAP journey without even having to explain why you're now choosing to cut meat and dairy out of your diet. You know, when all the doctors are saying, oh, no, you don't you don't need to do that. Those foods are not going to really cause your symptoms. You know, um, you can still eat some hard cheeses and you can still have your lactose-free milk and you can, you know, but I'd started to learn um, differently 
and I knew those things were not going to be um, helpful for my journey. And so what had you been reading? Like what were you, when you were talking about your educating yourself on a plant-based diet, what information were you reading? Somewhere in, I looked it up just the other day actually to see, but in 2015, which was when I got my yoga teacher training certificate, um, so I'd been obviously doing my hours prior to that for a couple of years. But in 2015, my hubby and I and our two little girls went on a lovely holiday to Bright. I love Bright. Yeah, it's so gorgeous, so pretty um, in our little camper van. And I had seen a documentary pop up on through my yoga circles and it was called Cowspiracy. And I'd, it just tweaked my interest. It was, you know, it just sounded like something that was really interesting. And, I want, and I'd said to Adam, my hobby, I'd really like to watch this. So he's like, well, let's watch it when we're on holidays. We'll bring it with us. So we sat up in our camp, you know, got the girls settled and sat up in the caravan one night and popped this movie or this documentary onto the laptop and we sat and we, for however long that documentary goes for, Adam and I just sat there and we just didn't talk to one another for the whole two, two and a half, whatever it is, hours. And at the end of it, we just turned and looked to, looked at each other. It was like, for us, that was a, 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 a you know a point of real like the light switch kind of went on. There was some kind of profound, you know, oh right. And so they touch on. I mean, a lot of that documentary is obviously to do with the environmental impacts of animal agriculture, but they do touch on diet, you know. The, um, the dietary factor and I guess that kind of led us, I can remember us going into town after watching that movie and we were going out for lunch and we are like, oh, my God, what do we eat? Like we didn't want to, you know, we'd see like sausages on the menu and we're like, we don't want to eat that. What are we going to eat? So it's just this really funny, funny moment for us. <laughs> It's such a good documentary. It, yeah, it's such a powerful documentary. It really documentary. is. And mm. I think my first comment once after we just kind of looked at each other, we were a bit stunned because it was all such new information. Oh, we just yes. if you haven't watched it, it's on Netflix, go watch oh, it. Oh, it's so it's amazing. It's really powerful. Yeah. And mm. and I said to my hubby, if even half of this is true, if there is any truth to this, then we just can't continue in good conscience. We just cannot ignore this. We just can't. So it's like, wow. So my, you know, I was dis- I was discovering that, you know, plant-based eating was, you know, good for my gut health and, you know, just good for my overall health. And apparently it was really good for the environment and good for the animals and, you know, less cruel. And just all this stuff started to, all this information started to gel together. And, yeah, and my, my hubby's very... Um, scientifically like he like he likes the science I like the science too but he really needs kind of some compelling evidence to you know push him in that direction and the more I showed him my husband's the same yeah the more I showed him the more convinced he became and the more that you know I was like whoa if Adam's taking this on board you know then 
there really is something in it, you know. And, yeah, when you dig, you can, like, the information is there. It's, you know, a little hard to find if you're not used to looking for it, but you can see if you look at these studies um, you can see who's funding them, and I guess the other the other part of it is I, I was reading and learning so much. I did decide to put it, my energies into doing some studies. So I'm studying at the moment. What are you studying? So I'm doing a diploma in health science, nutritional medicine. Beautiful. Yeah. So that's kind of me. I, I when I was listening to um, Shakul the other day on your podcast and mentioning how you know he's reading so much, he figured he may as well be studying it. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of me too. <laughs> just developing that passion for it I guess yeah it's so good more people out there the better Mm, absolutely ever since then I guess 2015 was the real shifter in really looking into this this way of eating and the science behind it and you know so many people having positive effects from a whole food plant-based diet and so what have you noticed with your health I guess for me IBS is a really interesting problem to have (laughs) so many different levels of it. And I guess for me, it was, I had a lot of, you know, it was very focused on mostly the tummy, the tummy issues of getting pain and discomfort um, and, and bloating, things like bloating when I, when I was eating. So for a long time, I didn't have, I almost got worse. There was a period of time where I probably did get worse rather than better because, of course, like when you're fructose, lactose and sorbitol intolerant, a lot of those really healthy foods that that feed the good bacteria in your gut, they cause those tummy symptoms. And so, but I under, I've done enough reading to understand that those symptoms didn't mean that those foods were bad for me or that I shouldn't, that I should avoid them forever. Like, and I, and I was very conscious to go, okay, well, in times of high stress or anxiety, if I'm avoiding, you know, if I need to avoid certain foods to just calm down those symptoms, then that's what I'll do. But it doesn't mean that I need to or that I should go and eat meat or that's that's not going to be helpful. Yeah, sure, I'm not going to get the symptoms but it's not going to build towards me having a healthy gut. And for a time it's like, oh, is this, am I ever going to be, you know, able to eat these foods? Like I I can remember going through a stage where it's just like I couldn't tolerate any beans, like even chickpeas were an issue. And, you know, I'd either get this really excessive gas or excessive bloating or tummy, you know, tummy pains. And it was like, wow, well, if I can't eat any beans and, you know, if I can't eat brown rice, for it, which was is supposed to not be so much of an issue, but for whatever reason it was with me. Uh, what am I get? How am I going? To- how are you going to eat? <laughs> what are you going to eat as a plant based person? Exactly. Oh, this is just not going to work for me. I can't. You know, I'm not a person who can do this. Unfortunately. So mm. I guess the biggest thing that I want other people with similar issues to me to know is that there is definitely a way there is a, a path and it's not easy 
but it's not as hard as what some of the doctors will make you out to believe, like so many of them. And dietitians would say, you know, oh, it can be done, but, you know, it's pretty hard. Like, you you know, you're going to have to be pretty careful. Well, you do and you do need that guidance, but it's now I am eating beans every day. I can eat uh, like things like mushrooms. I wasn't able to tolerate mushrooms very well at all. I eat mushrooms every other day now. I I can pretty much eat whatever I I like. Um, Amounts, perhaps I have to be a little bit careful with the amounts. Um, But, you know, probably nobody really wants to go and eat two cups of beans in one sitting. (laughs) Probably for a few people. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I ask, because I think a lot of people listening will have, will understand that fructose, what fructose is in. So it's in lots and lots of fruits. It's also in wheat and garlic and onion, and but in, it's in lots of fruit. But uh, And a lactose, I think most people will know that it's in dairy products. But what with sorbitol, people who are listening who are thinking, what's sorbitol in? What foods do you need to avoid that include sorbitol? That's a really good question. <laughs> Um, I, th- I think I think it's mannitol in mushrooms that were is an issue, and I, th- I I'm not the expert on it. Whether mannitol and sorbitol are quite similar, and that's why I had the issue, um, or what levels of sorbitol are in mushrooms, I'm not sure. But to be completely honest, I, I'm not 100%. I what foods are sorbitols really high in? I think they use it sometimes. I, I have a feeling it might be um, in things like chewing gum and like lollies, like confectionery products. It's also in, just reading now, Googling it as we're talking, it's in stone fruits, cherries, plums, apricots, peaches, pears, apples, dried fruits is much higher than fresh fruits and many diet and light products. Yes, yes. Yes, that's all ringing a bell now. <laughs> I know. It's one of those things that you just all put it all into one big basket of things I shouldn't eat and just forget why, which ones yeah. have the things in. But I thought it was just interesting for people to learn. Yeah, mostly stone fruits, dates, figs and prunes. Yeah. So, it, and I guess that's why um, I guess it was pretty tricky for me when I was going through eliminating because sorbitol, fructose, sorbitol and fructose are in many different foods and often, um, you know, they're in – they're both in the same food. So how do you know which, you know, for starters, how much fructose or sorbitol is in one particular food and then which food is affecting, you know, you and how much of which food. So, yeah, it's um, it's really it's a really tricky process to go through, particularly when you have multiple intolerances. But I think initially I was the, the, the Monash FODMAP app is – it is a really good resource initially when you're learning and just trying to get your head around which foods contain which FODMAPs. It's a really good guide. But I guess now that I've been through the process and, you know, I guess I'm a little more on the other side of things, I don't tend to look at that so much anymore. I I go a lot on how I feel and I, I know I've gotten to know now which particular foods are you know, more of an issue for me. But more than anything, for me personally, what 
I think I was in denial about for a long time. And what has a huge impact is my stress levels and anxiety. Because I, I used to wonder, I used to think, why is it that, you know, I can eat dates one day and and be fine. I can eat bliss balls and, and almonds or cashews or whatever. And then the next day I eat them and they're a real issue for me. And so that's where, you know, things I think like stress, anxiety, um, and even lack of exercise, lack of sleep, that's where the holistic approach really has a lot. There's a lot to be said for that. But, you know, you do have to try and do the things that um, help to to heal your gut, like eat the foods that feed the good gut bacteria. And absolutely, and if you listen to Natalie Natalie Woodman's two, two episodes on the podcast now, I think it's fourteen and ninety, and but she's talking about she talks about in the latest one stress and sleep and things to stress on our microbiome, and it has such plays such an important role in our gut health, overall gut health that we take for granted. And I, and I think it's it's a shame that we're only just learning about this now in this late stage of human evolution. <laughs> Better late than never, I guess. And, and so I'm so glad that you did learn that because I think many of us still don't know, still don't realize how our emotional, mental, physical state impacts on our ability to digest food. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's so important. I love that episode with Natalie, by the way. <laughs> she's <laughs> she's fantastic. But it, it really does. And I, and I think it's, it's tricky too because I would ha- have times where I'd feel like, okay, so I'm everything's really good. Like, you know, work's great. I'm getting enough sleep. I'm, you know, I feel really good. I'm not stressed at all. And yet, I'd eat something and I'd be having these these symptoms and I'd be like, what's going on? I'm I'm doing my yoga and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And then all of a sudden, you, you know, if you really start to think back, you're like, oh, a few weeks ago I had that really upsetting incident. And 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 that's the thing. It's it's our bodies are so complex and it's um it can be this build up and you do, there was just so many times where i just thought you know but i am calm i am calm but <laughs> uh, it's like you almost get anxious you know <laughs> because of the fact that you're wondering you know why but i'm i'm going okay but yeah it's a constant you've got to constantly be at it it is. You wish that you could just do it one day and then you've ticked off good health for the rest of your life. And I know when I was diagnosed with MS, I had just ended my, no offense to my ex because we're still friends, but shitty relationship. <laughs> I'd ended my relationship. I'd bought a, sold my house, renovated a house and sold it. I'd quit my job and I'd bought this combi van and I was so. Everything was finally good, you know. I was ready to go, Thelma and Louising around Australia with my girlfriend. We were so excited. And then to get this MS then, I thought, surely you'd give that to me when I was in the horrors of, you know, my relationship and working 11 days on, one day off endlessly and eating and smoking and I was still eating and smoking when I was good, but sometimes you're so shocked and I thought it was so unfair that I was sick when I was in such a good place in my life. 
Yes. But all of that life of stress that I'd had, 24 years of stress with my sibling dying and, you know, he was sick and dying. He didn't die until after I was diagnosed. But there's so much going on that's traumatic. Yes. That we we, we do need to take – like. Diet, we always say in this show, is, is about 80% responsible for chronic disease and all lifestyle diseases. But that 20% is an important 20%. The stress, the sleep, the trauma, the environmental toxins. You know, there's so many different things that go into that 20% that are all important too and integral. Yeah, and, and the way in which those things interact with, you know, um, the food that you eat and it's, um, yeah, it's it's – plays a, a massive role. So I think now that you know, I've realised, you know, how much and, and as you say, Corinne, the things that, you know, happen in your life and I had um, built up obviously with going through the vaginismus and I also have a severely mentally and physically disabled sister and that you don't kind of realise growing up, you know, you, you kind of think that, your family situation is like I never I never thought oh I'm different you know to other children or but I guess seeing certain things being exposed to certain things and that other children and other families don't you know necessarily deal with in their everyday life that is a a stressful situation and and you don't really know how you process that particularly as a child and so then later on you know and and like I've been to you know psychiatrists and psychologists and I remember this one psychologist saying to me your response I think they call it when you catastrophize and so you know she's like well if you um you know reached for a glass in you know up on a shelf and you, you slipped missed and it you know shattered on the ground you know your response to that might be like if you had to rate it from one to ten your response to that might be like a nine in terms of the anxiety that 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 would cause whereas somebody you know else who like different life experiences or whatever um, you know their response might be a three so she's like you and it sounds it sounds a bit kind of harsh to say you that you catastrophize things, but it's not something that you do on purpose. It's just the way you have taught yourself, in a sense, to to respond to these things subconsciously. But if we're not, and I think obviously I'm speculating and I don't have the, <laughs> the scientific, psychological, psychiatric understanding to claim to be an expert in all, but I know for myself, you know, my brother was diagnosed with a with muscular dystrophy when I was four. He was nine. And as a child, you know, yourself with a sibling with something that's it's it's heavy in your family, whether or not you understand. And I didn't understand. I got that it was heavy, but there's there was no real dialogue with me about the heaviness or about the what was happening. It was just happening externally to me in my family it wasn't I wasn't involved in it it wasn't discussed with me I wasn't really spoken to about but I know I noticed as a child you're noticing you know your brother's getting sicker and sicker and sicker your parents are getting more and more and more upset and worried there's more of a stress around making sure things are fun and that Brett's happy and that this thing's 
going well for them and your holidays are different than your friends' holidays and you have to do things in a different way. You can't stay on the second floor of a holiday apartment and all your friends are staying on some big view thing and you're like, well, we can't carry the wheelchair up the stairs and it's only... All these little things that I imagine for someone like yourself or someone myself, because I would say I'm a catastrophe. I, I, I've been... <laughs> That glass would be a nine for me. <laughs> I often say to Ranjit, because he's someone like that too, and he's had his own illnesses and things in his childhood, and we both see our friends respond to some parenting situations so chill, and I say, why aren't we chill like them? <laughs> but when you look back at our childhoods, you can kind of see why we're the way we are and the way you are after all of your trauma, like even with, with, with your sibling and with your vaginismus as a child and a teenage girl going through that. Yeah. That is yeah. huge. It's huge. And I can see now and like, it's nobody's fault. No. Like, you know, um, it, it's just your, your life circumstance and how things, you know, work out and, and, you know, I, I didn't, like, it's not like I thought, oh, I'm going to deal with this situation like this now, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, like mm. your brain just processes how it processes things. But, yeah, I think definitely all of those things have an, have an impact on, yeah, what, what happens later on in life. So I think for me, you know, I, I love my yoga and, you know, meditation so much. I'm still still on that journey into um, getting really regular. I'm a lot more regular with it than I used to be, but um, like my, my food stuff. But I, I think with particularly with anxiety and things like IBS or really any, any problem like that, you – you know, if you put too much, like that in itself can become a reason to be really, really anxious and mm. you can get into this cycle, you know, and I think I, I definitely had periods with my food as well where it's like, oh, my God, what do I eat? And, you know, and, and oh, how, you know, oh, I may as well just give up and, you know, it's, oh, it's not going to make any difference or whatever it is. And that's okay. Like I've, re- I've realized now, it's okay to go through. It's all part of the journey and <laughs> learning and you don't, you know, just because you fall off once or, you know, twice or I don't really care if it's 500,000 times, you, if you start to see yourself in a particular way, then you can start to change that chemistry of how you, you know, think about things going forward and, you know, much more positivity in the outcome of how, how things can be for you. So I've worked a lot on that. So how would a day of eating be for you now compared to how you were eating before all of this? Oh, wow. So prob- well, probably beforehand, probably a typical day would have been two slices of toast in the morning. Um, then I'd probably have like a tub of yogurt for morning tea or a I don't know I'd probably grab like some biscuits or I don't know something that's not very healthy for morning tea maybe even chocolate Mm, yeah yeah (laughs) 
Um, and then for lunch, we'd probably be like a ham and salad sandwich on white bread, afternoon tea. I don't like, I don't probably always have like a morning and afternoon tea. And then, you know, dinner would just be like your meat and three veg or it'd always be meat, whatever I had, whether it was, you know, chicken, beef or pork or fish or whatever, it'd always be meat. And meat would be the main part of the dish. The hero of the dish. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That would be the, mo- the most important part of the, of the meal. And so now fast forward <laughs> through <laughs> my journey. So now um, I have uh, things like it'll either be, um, you know, cereal with um, oats and um, pepitas and cacao nibs and a big, nice big dollop of either fresh or frozen berries with some chopped banana, um, mm. that that kind of thing um, with either some a little bit of almond milk or oat milk and, you know, sometimes some toast, but it, it will be like really nice quality bread. I, but I'm pretty okay with sourdough, whole grain sourdoughs. Um, any breads I eat from the supermarket give me that like indigestion type um, symptoms so I just stay away from those and then you know lunch like a nice big salad like a roast up some vegetables with some nice dark green leafy veggies a couple of pieces of fruit like a sprinkling of nuts on my salad those types and then dinners um whatever <laughs> actually I joked um I do have a little Facebook page that I that I use to put up like some, you know, pictures and like just a little, I guess, blog entry of what I eat to try and help inspire people to, do, um, you know, head towards plant-based. Um, and I put a little um, comment up the other day. It said that I was circle, um, circling through lentil bolognese and vegetable curries and soups, I think, because mm-hmm. we've just been through that this busy period at the moment and so I just you know circle through particular and and what I'll do now is I just literally will go out and buy a whole heap of you know fresh fruit and vegetables at the start of the week and I'll just make sure that I have great like rice quinoa my my grains handy some whole grain pasta um or sometimes we mix it up and don't have the whole grain pasta because the kids like the other one um (laughs) does that (laughs) I often I often substitute on those days when the kids have the other pasta, I um I often will have a baked potato and then I'll have it with the pasta sauce. So that's my – and then everyone else has the other pasta if they want the other pasta. Because for me, it just, my tummy just never likes it. So now I'm just like, what's the point? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Pasta's just dead to me as a friend. We're not <laughs> – we're enemies. <laughs> I just never feel good in my tummy. It doesn't feel like it's going to process. Other people love it. And the brown rice pasta I found is the best for me, but it's still I would rather a potato personally. But the rest of the family love pasta night and they're happy with with whole grain mostly. But if dad's going to be fun dad, then he'll get the other parts maybe like once a month or something we do that too yeah we switch it up a little bit but for me I found that you know I always try to go the whole grain you know options as much as I can um and I and I have found for me that the the better quality like even the the white pastas but the the better quality ones um 
I don't know what it is, but whether they're processed differently or they're using different, way, I, I don't know, but they do sit better in my tummy personally. Um, and I eat less. Like I, I love food and I used to, you know, just shove it all down, eat really quickly, number one, and number two, just eat way too much. I still do that sometimes. But... <laughs> But, you know, every meal I would just like fill myself to, it was like I was scared I wasn't going to get to the next meal. Like, so I had to, you know, just shovel it all in just in case I missed dinner or something. I don't know. But, um, yeah, so now it's, um, and we always try to add lots of greens to our, I don't know why we never thought of that before. Like even when we were eating beef bolognese, it's like we never add greens, but now we have our um, – I make a really nice black lentil, um, bol- you know, sauce, um, pasta sauce, and the kids absolutely love it and we just plonk a big bunch of spinach on top or, you know, whatever it is and it's delicious. So yum. So you're feeling amazing now. What's, how's life different now since you have become plant-based and you've been doing your low FODMAP? So the, – and the low FODMAP thing now I don't – don't really worry about um, so much anymore because I can't because I am tolerating food so much better. So I don't really think about it. But probably one of the biggest things has been being able to go to the toilet without you know worrying like that. Yeah, that you know I'm not going to be able to go or that you know I, it's just easy. I don't have to think it's about it such anymore. Such a relief. And if you haven't been constipated, you can't imagine oh. what a relief it is. Even when you're out and you're like, oh, yes. I hope I don't need to go here because, oh, my gosh, it's going to be an ordeal and I'm at a party or a friend's place. or a... Yes. And I know oh some gosh. people, like for me, it was the constipation predominant. Mm. I know some people like, oh, I can't eat. Oh, it would be horrible having to run, you know, to the toilet for fear of the diarrhea. But I know even for me with the constipation, like if you're out, I used to think, Oh, this is so embarrassing because I'm going to be like half an hour, and they're going to wonder where I'm. That's I've what. Gone. That's what I mean. For me too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> they're going to. They're going to. You know, think I've banned, left I've run the party. Away Why have you gone for four days? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's great. Um, I don't have. You know, when you have tummy pains constantly, you that's where your mind is. Your mind is constantly you know, at your tummy and it's constantly on your mind. So that is so much less on my mind. I don't think about my stomach all the time, which is great, which I'm obviously not getting those symptoms. I don't, I very rarely, hardly ever get indigestion. I do get like, you know, body aches and things, but I would say it's much more normal, you know, to what you would get if you're, I I don't wake up with stiff hands. Now, I don't even know how, Corinne, that relates to my, whether it's IBS. I have heard of people who I think there is some kind of association with muscular aches and IBS potentially. I'm not the person to ask, but I know a lot of guests on our show all experience a decrease in muscle stiffness. And and, and I guess to the extreme level, people that have ended up with rheumatoid arthritis because of their diet has helped so much in them alleviating those rheumatoid arthritis rheumatoid arthritis. I can never say that properly without getting my tongue in a twist. Rheumatoid arthritis, 
or That's or it. other muscular <laughs> aches and pains? So even like even headaches, like I I haven't taken you know Nurofen or Panadol or anything like that for years. Mm-hmm. I used to take it every now and again. I'd get a headache or you know I it just things like that. And I can talk quickly about my hubby just for a moment. He was he was really interesting because he's um he's a runner. He loves to run and. He, up until a few years ago, um, loved his soccer and he, um, he actually went through a year, one year where he had um, injuries. I think it was his Achilles was really, really playing up and he's also a physio so he, know, he does, you know, he knows what he needs to do to recover, at, you know, as quickly and as efficiently as, as possible and prevent future injuries. So he had this year where he was, you know, really struggled. He was doing, you know, mono- like really dedicated with his massage and his all that kind of stuff. And the following year, um, he, it was just one day through the season, he was like, I'm not getting the same injuries. And like, if I am getting injured, I'm recovering better. And he just all of a sudden made this link between, you know, the, what he, he was like, I haven't changed anything else except my diet. And so then Mm. he started, he became interested in, you know, the anti-inflammatory side of things, you know, for recovery from injury and all that kind of stuff. So he's quite fascinated with that and that's that's one of the changes he's noticed. That is so good and I bet you he can't wait, like I can't wait, for the Groundbreakers documentary to come out with all athletes who are on a plant-based diet, elite game game changers, Groundbreakers, goodness, look at me. Game changes. <laughs> I'm having yes. a mum moment. <laughs> we can't wait to see that. Oh, it's yeah, it's going to be awesome. I can't wait to. <laughs> so thank you so much. But before we go, any two things from you. Where can people follow you on social media? I've got a Facebook page called Plant Based Home. So I don't kind of like super advertise it, but anyone's welcome to <laughs> to jump on and, you know, for a little bit of extra inspiration. There's lots of inspiration out there, but um, I post things there. And then I have a Try Yoga Basics with Catherine Facebook page as well. I'm doing starting up classes um, at Try Yoga Ballarat, if anyone's Ballarat people. I've just, um, after being at the the Nutrition in Healthcare Conference in February, I got really inspired to create that community, that community support for people. So I started, I joined up with um, Plant Peel Communities Pods and created a um, plant-powered Ballarat group that at the moment um, we're meeting probably every every couple of months. So I can send you those links, Corinne, <laughs> if you like. Yes, please. That's wonderful. If you're in Ballarat, head over to Plant Powered Ballarat for a potluck every couple of months. Yeah, uh, we've got our next one. I think it's the 6th of July. Oh, they're so exciting. Good for you. I'm so excited that you did that. That's so good. Yay. Yay. <laughs> so speaking to like-minded people and, and even just, you know, whether – 
you know, we've got some people who have, you know, been doing this for a few years like us or we've got real newbies who we had a lady come last time and she was like, oh, Catherine, I eat meat every day but I'm really interested in plant-based eating and nutrient and working more towards that. And I was like, yes, come along, you're welcome. So, That's so good. And what are your three biggest tips for people who are wanting to feel better and transition to a plant-based diet? Three biggest tips. Well, um, probably the first one would be to just don't stress, like don't kind of be so hard on yourself. We, we all just do the best that we can. So, you know, any step in the right direction is awesome. So I think for me personally, I we literally just started reducing the amount of meat on our plate and increasing our plant foods. That was kind of how it started for us. Yeah, it's a great tip. Yeah. So number one, don't don't stress and put heaps of pressure on yourself. And number two, just gradually start increasing plant foods. And number three, I had one in my head and now I can't think of it. <laughs> don't panic. <laughs> oh, that was the other one. My other one was just read, like learn, just keep learning. You know, every time I came across something that, that said, oh, but you really need meat for iron, you know, you can't get enough iron on a plant-based diet. Eggs for protein. Yeah, yeah. Every time I come across something, which actually just quickly, Corinne, if we can touch on, I, I laugh about that doctor who said you're not going to become iron deficient because I, I, I actually – am quite low in iron um, and that is one of the things I'm working with um, the fabulous Robin Tutor um, to help me to she's excellent I don't know what number she is but I'll put it in the links she's um yeah she's amazing so we're working on that one um, but I know that a lot of people and particularly women have troubles with iron and particularly when you've got if you've had gut issues and IBS and things like that you are prone to malabsorption so mm. no I don't just need to go and eat a steak <laughs> people don't just need to go and eat a steak it's much more complicated than that and there is a, a really healthy way to to get that iron in without having all those you know other the other nasties that come with um with eating meat so yeah check out Robin if you've got uh, iron malabsorption issues or Natalie Woodman. There's been a lot of people on the show that could help you out, but go back and find them and check out the one that suits you. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. No worries at all. Thank you so much for having me. It was wonderful. And I'm so glad that you're feeling so much better. And you look amazing. You can't see her, but she looks amazing and vibrant and alive. Absolutely. I feel it, which is wonderful. <laughs>